friends, and welcome to Doable Discipleship, a Saddleback Church podcast designed to help you deepen your faith, or as my good friend Doug Jones likes to say, <laughs> the show that helps you grow. Isn't it? Yeah, <laughs> it is. How, how does it feel saying that again? Uh, great, except it's an inversion. It is. I used to Isn't this part. weird? Yeah, it is weird, but I am just, <laughs> I'm just getting hit with wave after wave of nostalgia I, as we sit here together. We and just, it's just the two of us. It's you and me and me and you, just like it, it used to be. Just like it used to be. We just celebrated, it was the five-year anniversary of the pod. Oh my gosh. Uh, about a month and a half ago. That's incredible. So we are thrilled to have you back. Guys, if you're, if you're like, what are you people talking about? <laughs> my name is Jason. This is Doug. I'm on the Spiritual Growth Team, and, uh, and we started this podcast back in 2017, and it was Doug Jones who uh, was the initial host of this, and then, and then I joined him for you know the few years that we were doing it together. And uh, mm. this is, I think, Doug's third time back. Uh, I can't remember if this is three or two. I don't Yeah, good, good question. I know Second I've appeared or third. on uh, probably <laughs> Easter specials that have Well, been yes, you have. That's true. So Your voice has, has still me. been a part of the uh, pod ever since. Um, we are continuing in our summer book series. So last week we talked about Celebration of the Discipline and uh, with our friend Brandon Bathauer. And today, Doug is bringing us another book. Now, again, this is more like an introduction to the book. It's more like, hey, why should you maybe want to check this book out this summer? If you're looking for a good summer read, maybe you'll like this one. So, mm -hmm. Doug, tell us, what book are we talking about today? I've decided to go for C.S. Lewis's The Weight of Glory. Um, and it's weight like like heaviness, not like waiting for <laughs> That's you know, an the, important the distinction. to call you back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it, is, it, it is an incredible book. We'll, we'll break that down, but um, for me it was... It was obvious that I was going to go with C.S. Lewis. It was obvious. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> obvious to you and honestly obvious to any listeners who remember the episodes that I was on because I'm a huge C.S. Lewis fan. Clive Staples Lewis. Um, incredible author. Um, he, was at a he was a devout atheist um, and only came to faith after a long uh, sort of exploration into the rationale of the Christian faith. And um, he was a a really, really well-respected, distinguished academic uh, at Oxford and Cambridge, and just has an incredible story. He fought in the trenches of World War One, um, and eventually he went on to become arguably, I, I will, I will, he's easily among the most influential voices. He's in got to be up thought. there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> at least of the twenty-first of the twentieth century, he's near the top of the list, if not at the top of the list, and. He passed away of cancer in 1963, I think it was, and um, and I honestly think his influence has only grown in that time because yeah. his books have only increased in popularity as as time went on. Well, um, it, it helps too that that he has written a very popular series of children's books as well that people yeah. get into, and you're like, wait a second, what? This guy is also like writes books on the problem of pain? <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, I know. Like you can't. Oh, problem of pain. That was a really good one. You didn't choose it. Could have just can't as talk easily about done it. that. Well, that, that was the really hard part of this is like, it's not, it wasn't hard to figure out that I needed to do C.S. Lewis, but it was <laughs> yeah. very hard to figure out which of his books to do. I mean, how many authors can, can be world-class in writing like theology and philosophy uh, in a very academic style and also be incredible fiction authors at the same time and, and just be like these amazing world-creating geniuses? It, it, he's just unreal. So he's got these amazing works of both fiction and nonfiction and, um, and just does both brilliantly. 
And so the backdrop of, of the weight of glory, uh, right around in the, in the 1940s, obviously World War, World War II was in full swing and uh, had to become really an existential threat to, to well, all of Europe, but, um, but to the UK uh, big time. And they were sort of like standing off against Hitler and the Nazis. And it was a, a really uh, harrowing time for, uh, for the Brits. And obviously, uh, C.S. Lewis uh, is British and was there through that entire season. Again, he had fought in World War I, and then he now was kind of entering his sort of statesman years as he got into, <laughs> into World War II. So he wasn't fighting in World War II, um, but that was about the time that he was kind of hitting the, the peak of his, uh, I guess he was entering sort of the prime of his career at that time. Mm. He was speaking to very large audiences, packed houses, um, he was giving addresses on the radio and things like that, to, just to encourage the British people. All while being like best friends with a Tolkien, right? At yeah. This time. So, I know. <laughs> dude, like, talk about a f- talk about a, <laughs> talk about a click. Talk about the like the coolest. Oh, to be a fly on the wall group of friends. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there is a there is a book called The Fellowship, and it's basically the um, it's it's sort of a, a biographical look at the Inklings, which is sort of the. The, the group of those really uh, talented writers uh, in sort of the, the, those days at Oxford, which in- includes Tolkien, Lewis, and uh, a couple of others who are less notable, but also really brilliant and cool. I just picture Lewis being like, like, J.R.R. guy, what, Smeagol? Come on. That sounds terrible. <laughs> That's the name you want to go <laughs> Yeah, these guys literally workshopped some of their best work together and bounced ideas off of each other and and just ribbed each other and mm-hmm. I'm sure ripped each other's work apart <laughs> and it was probably just just uh, it was exactly the kind of environment I would love to hang out oh in. totally <laughs> not that I would be able to hang but I would just want to sit there and be like at the next table over yeah just, just like, like man you hear this <laughs> yeah, drinking coffee listening to them um <clears throat> so yeah world war ii is the backdrop for the weight of glory uh, the Weight of Glory is actually not a book per se. It's a it's a compilation or it's a collection of different addresses that Lewis gave during World War II. I don't know where to put my hands because <laughs> I keep putting my hands on my face awkwardly because I don't know how to. Um, it's, it, it's been too long. It's been too long. And we have different mic stands now. We do. Um, <clears throat> anyway, so he's given these addresses to the British people, um, sometimes over the radio, sometimes over, uh, sometimes to a, you know, a, a full house at, uh, Oxford to students and things like that. So different uh, addresses for different people. Each of the uh, essays, let's call them, or some call them sermons or, uh, you know, just public addresses, whatever you want to call them, uh, each of them tackles a different issue. So there are nine total essays contained within um, The Weight of Glory, and uh, all nine of them address a question that was uh, that was given to him. So people would write to him and say, you know, they'd ask this question or they'd have these organizers of an event say, this is the question that I think our people need to hear about. And uh, Lewis would write uh, a message for them and then deliver it. And so so when you read Weight of Glory, Weight of Glory what you're seeing is nine essays assembled into one collection that all come from either um, the sort of the, the latter years of, the, of World War II. Um, so that would put you in like the 43, 44, 45 kind of range. Or... Um, in the years immediately following, kind of the Reconstruction era. Um, so it has the name Weight of Glory because the first uh, essay that appears in the compilation is called The Weight of Glory. And um, for this discussion, I think I'll just focus on that essay primarily because I don't really know how we could cover nine <laughs> completely different talks. Like, they're so different. Yeah. Each one, 
they just go all over the place. Like there's one called Learning in Wartime, and he's addressing students, I think, at uh, Oxford, and addressing the question like, what's the point of going to school? What's the point of mm. focusing on academics when a war is raging? And so he speaks to that, and he's like, is there value in this? And so he addresses that question. Uh, there's one in there called The Inner Ring, which is unbelievably brilliant. Um, and we'll talk later about what it is about like these books that, like, uh, uh, we'll say about Weight of Glory and, and this compilation that was so impactful to me. But mm. one of the things that's impactful about Lewis's writing is that <clears throat> he's just so um, brilliant at glimpsing human nature. And he, he, he is so good at just sort of capturing what it is to be a human being and the ways that we think, the ways that we act. And um, he just puts it to paper so beautifully in a way that you're, it's almost like looking at memes, you know, like when you're online and you're, you see a meme and it's just so relatable and you're mm. like, yes, I totally get that. Like, that's <laughs> totally me. And uh, his books do that um, really, really well. Um, so there's, there's just, they're all over the place. But, um, you know, that inner ring one is another example of one where he just, he just proves that he has a, a deep, rich understanding of human nature and how we relate to God. So uh, highly relate, I highly recommend the entire um collection of essays but we'll focus on weight of glory since it's the namesake <laughs> so let's get into your personal history with it a little bit it's obviously that you have a passion for for not just lewis but this one in particular um so so when did you first read it and uh, what kind of impact did it have on you then yeah i think the first time i read it was maybe eight or nine years ago i actually listened to it and um, so I listened to it on Audible. This was at a time when I had really long... As read by C.S. Lewis? <laughs> <laughs> if, only, if only. Although there is one or two things... There are one or two things, I think, on Audible that actually do... Are, are like standalone essays of him that are yeah, actually... found his recordings. recordings. Oh. There's like uh, archive recordings of him and it... Uh, it's just what you think it would sound like. <laughs> it's very learned sounding uh, British, uh, you know, and, and I thought it was very <laughs> endearing. But... Um, yeah, I read it eight or nine years ago, and um, I kind of went, at that time, I went on an absolute C.S. Lewis binge, and I just, I, I remember listening to, um, I remember in like high school trying to read Mere Christianity, mm-hmm. and, um, and and Lewis's work is so, it's just so, it's so heavy. I mean, it can be very deep, and it mm-hmm. can be very, it can be very dense, and I remember just being like, wow, I got to go back. And like, I, sometimes you just hit the bottom of the page yeah. and you're like, uh, I got to do that one over again. <laughs> um, but I remember listening to um, Mere Christianity uh, maybe just shortly after college. And um, and for whatever reason, it just really clicked for me and it spoke to me in, a, in such a powerful way. And after that, I just started gobbling up like every C.S. Lewis thing I could get my hands on, particularly nonfiction, but some of his fiction as well. Um, I just gravitate toward nonfiction more. Um, so as I was plowing through, you know, I'd go through Surprised by Joy and the Problem of Pain and God in the Dock and all these other things that he wrote, <clears throat> some of his fiction work, um, Great Divorce and things like that. Um, but eventually got to The Weight of Glory. And that one just stuck out to me in a special way. Um, and uh, largely because it's so beautiful and so evocative and it gives such a great, as I said, insight into the human heart. But it also it also paints this unbelievable unbelievably like beautiful and sort of mysterious um but enticing picture of what heaven is Mm. and what it will be 
And I, I think one of the biggest things that I take away from Lewis's writings overall, you notice a strong theme in his writing that there is an ultimate reality that God is calling us up into. Hmm. And that the things that we experience here in the here and now are just little, uh, not to not to use the, the name of their f- little friend group, but they're, they're just <laughs> inklings of something much greater. Mm-hmm. And, and so for me, the weight of glory um, w- was hard hitting because what he really is doing is taking us in and, and, and undergoing this exploration of what biblical, what glory is in a biblical sense. And he kind of talks about it in two ways. Um, but the, the main thrust of what he's after is to say all the little things that you busy yourself with on earth, all the little things that you find joy in, they are not the thing. They're not the ultimate thing. They are just symbols or whispers of something um, that's much, much greater, that God is inviting you up into a reality that is um, beyond anything that you can imagine. And the, the weight of glory title comes from sort of the, 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 a line inside the essay itself um, and what he sort of boils boils it down to was like, what what is the ultimate expression or what is the ultimate uh, embodiment of human glory? It is to be approved of and loved by our creator. Mm-hmm. And he explores the idea that human beings made in the image of God can actually bring joy to our creator, that we can be a source of joy for God. In fact, there's a line, he, he says, um, he said, to please God, to be a real ingredient in the divine happiness, to be loved by God and not merely pitied, but delighted in as an artist delights in his work or a son. It seems impossible, a weight of glory uh, which our thoughts can hardly sustain, but so it is. So he talks about glory as this uh, immensely significant and, and weighty thing, this heavy thing that you are a person who can bring joy to your creator. Um, and, and he talks a lot about this idea that we will ultimately face God and, um, and that the ultimate thing we desire is to be, is to be welcomed in and to, to hear those well done, good and faithful servant words. So uh, I don't want to go into like a whole (laughs) diatribe and summary of the, of the essay, although I'm, (laughs) <laughs> easily, easily prepared to do that. Well, um, I, well, it sounds it, it's such a profound thing to to tackle a topic like a, a glory from that mindset, because as we think about the idea of glory, we think about it like winning a championship, right? Like holding up the trophy, coming in first place, mm-hmm. and and in that in the, in those cases, is you are getting the the approval, the love, the adoration from fans, from people, mm-hmm. from, you know, other humans. So we think of glory in the sense of um, how we set ourselves, you know, in a place of becoming idolized mm-hmm. by other humans. Yeah. And what Lewis is getting at in this point is like, that's nothing compared to the sense that you bring God joy. Yeah. <laughs> well, he says that even, you're exactly right. Have you read it? No. Oh, dude, you're well. You're uh, you're singing off of his song sheet for sure. <laughs> he even talks about that. He said, you know, if, if if you can't get around the fact that that the biblical picture of glory has to do with sort of fame or acknowledgement or sort of adoration, and you know, he talks about how obviously there's a, there's a version of that that is that is kind of 
evil and ugly. I mean, there's a, mm. because you can easily go, like you said, to this place of, um, it's a comparison thing. It's like mm-hmm. my so my goal then is to be more glorious than you. Yeah, I want to be. I want to have more fame than you. I want to be better respected than you. I want to be better known than you. Uh, I want to be of sort of good report and all these things. And uh, when it becomes something that is uh, us creatures measuring ourselves and sort of jockeying for position down here, that can get very ugly and mm-hmm. um, become very ambitious in a in a negative, uh, sinful way. But what he said is that even that is a glimmer of what every human being is created for, and that we are we are made to be like children. He even says, you know, the mem- the moment I find myself um, thinking that this idea of of being adored by by someone or being uh, loved or approved of in that sense of fame, the moment I start thinking of that as wicked, he said, I, I also then go on to remember that we're told that no one will get into the kingdom of heaven unless they're like a child. And nothing is more like a child than to crave the adoration and approval of, of the superior, or of the person who has authority. The, so he says it's like, a, it's like an employee who wants to please an employer or a, a son or daughter who wants to please a parent. And the ultimate embodiment of that is a creature that wants to please its creator. And that ultimate glory is found in finding approval and, um, and we can say uh, the appreciation, let's say, of of our creator. And so he says, you know, even those things which have evil sort of um, shadow sides that can come out, Mm. even those things point to the ultimate true reality, which is that we would be found um, approved by God. And um, he said, you know, we, we, we get distracted by those, the little here and now things um, as if they're the real deal. But ultimately those things, and he even says in other works that, most of the things that we regard as just evil are not evil in and of themselves, but they're a twisting or a perverting of a good thing that God created, which is a really helpful way of seeing morality. You know, um, obviously sexuality is a good thing created by God, but it does have a shadow side, and it can it can produce evil, and, and it can produce destruction in a person's life. There's another quote that he has. He says, We're half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. Mm. We are far too easily pleased. And you just get that, that really visceral picture of us settling for so much less because we can't even fathom what it would be like to have something so much greater. And um, so it's, it's, a really, mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's a really, it's a really special, uh, it's a really special writing that just invites you to think so much bigger about, where you find your joy and um, and sort of invites you to to look forward to heaven in a in a whole new way and he simultaneously gets you thinking bigger about what heaven will be mm-hmm. and and also smaller at the same time because you're like oh, yeah all these little things that can bring you joy here on earth are part of it they're just not the whole they're not the entire thing so when was the last time that you read it yeah, I think you said you first read it uh, eight years ago yeah, or something like close that. Close to a decade ago, eight or nine years. So when was the last time you read it, and did it have a different impact on you? Has it kind of changed or grown on you in a different way? Has there been a different area of focus or emphasis? Yeah, I read it last week um, in preparation for this. I wanted to kind of, and I actually read it on my like on my iPad, so mm-hmm. I can kind of do fresh highlights sure. and stuff and all that instead of listening to it. Um, I think the I think the, I think the big one for me is just a renewed appreciation for heaven, mm-hmm. and 
You know, like what what I love about Lewis, and sometimes I take issue with him slightly. I mean, I I don't think I've ever read what I know. I don't think <laughs> I've ever read anything from anybody that I didn't you know have yeah, at least have one. some sort of quibble. Yeah, like Lewis, you know, I I respect him immensely. Like if there's a guy that you know that I could sit down and have lunch with, you know, other he's than the top of your the, list, our Lord and Savior, <laughs> he's right up there on my list. Um, but you know, it's it's so this is like twofold because on the one hand, I kind of take issue with how he presents things, but on the other hand, I am appreciative that he presents it so differently from me because he gets me looking at a side of things that I that I would often miss. Um, he, you know, when he writes, he's he's always looking to the kingdom of heaven. He's always looking to sort of the future glory of mankind, which I think is right to do. But I sometimes think he he almost like. Uh, and maybe he doesn't, maybe it's just the way I read it. Maybe it's my own baggage that I approach the, the, his writings with, but almost feels like it's coming. It's like prioritizing heaven at the expense of earth. Mm. You know, he, and, and uh, elsewhere in his writings, he says, you know, if you, if you focus on getting heaven, you'll get earth thrown in. But if you focus on earth, you'll get neither. Mm. And, uh, and I love that. And that's completely true. And it's absolutely, um, in line with the new Testament teaching. Um, but I, I sometimes feel like he's kind of almost degra- almost degrading the earthly yeah. existence in favor of that heavenly glory. And, I, I, and I'm sure that if he were sitting here, he'd say, no, you're just not understanding me properly. <laughs> That's probably the case. Um, but what I love about that um, is that, you know, we, we live in the here and now. We live in, in this finite reality. You know, he describes heaven as this transcendent, transtemporal, you know, transmaterial, like this almost elevated almost to this a, a other, plane of existence yeah, yeah. that's so different from us. And I don't actually know that heaven's going to be uh, as different. Uh, I think it's going to feel so different in so many ways, and I think it's going to feel so the same and so familiar in so many other ways. Yeah. Um, and he he himself says that, that, you know, heaven is going to be the, the complete experience or the complete expression of the things that we all hope for. So it will feel more familiar than anything. But... Um, but what I love about it is that he gets me he gets me lifting my eyes off of just the here and now. Yeah. Which I tend to be very pragmatic in my thinking and tend to be very focused on um you know as we all are just day-to-day life like my head is down and I'm focused on family and work and Yeah, the hows of life. Yeah. Like, how do you go about doing this? Solving the little life? petty problems, <laughs> becoming preoccupied with those little problems, getting stressed out by those little things. Well, that's the hard part of being a one on the Enneagram, right? Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Tell me about it. <laughs> Sucks to be a one, um, <laughs> although I'm sure every, well, probably everyone except nine says that. <laughs> I don't know. It feels great to be a nine sometimes. <laughs> okay, great. Um, can I get a, maybe I can re-register as some other personality. I'll try again. <laughs> uh, yeah, but he just, he lifts my eyes and I get, I, and I, I, I start contextualizing what I am experiencing in the grander reality of heaven and earth. And, um, it's, it's a relief for me in a lot of ways. And it, and it's also, um, yeah, it's kind of a bit of a, it's a, it's a nice thing to turn away from the immediate realities and focus on the things that Jesus, to be fair, told us to focus on, you know, to think about heavenly things, to think about him and his kingdom. Is that perspective gut punch of just real, of just, and, and thinking that, so, uh, that someone like Lewis can go from talking about pain and suffering or talking about war, so the things that are very much of this world, yeah. but then also have the weight of glory being like, by the way, yeah, there's all this stuff, but don't forget to, uh, y- y- you know, where your focus really should lie. Yeah. 
Yeah, and you can tell that he that he internalized that and he really wore that. I mean, there's even uh, depending on which edition or like which um, which version of the the weight of glory that you you pick up, which you will pick it up. I this is a Jedi mind trick. You, <laughs> you will get this book. You will read it. Um, there's a preface by uh, a friend that knew him very well, especially in his latter years. And this this friend sort of um, just recounts his time with Lewis, especially as Lewis was growing ill and was was nearing the end. And um, this this fellow just describes an amazing person who you can tell was not just this lofty intellectual who had all these ideas, but in the end, but in the end, was just a bitter, ugly person. Mm. I mean, you can see that this is a guy who was transformed by these realities. And I think he's an example, or at least I'd like to believe based on someone else's testimony, that he's an example of someone who really did keep his eyes on heaven. And that did make earth sweeter for him. Well, and I'm sure a big part of it too, is being such a devout atheist. I think he had a realization that I wasted all this time focused on like a life apart from God. Yeah. And now I see nothing but a part, you know, but life with God. And yeah, I think he had a hunger for it that um, maybe someone like myself who was kind of raised in the church, um, that hunger is maybe a little bit more elusive at times mm-hmm. because you don't have, you don't remember a period of starvation, you know, where you, where you um, didn't have the sort of riches of, of the truth of Jesus and of his kingdom. Yeah. Um, I think someone like Lewis, who made it all the way to adulthood, um, believing that the idea of uh, a th- of theism, for not even just Christianity, but theism itself, was just completely uh, hogwash, mm-hmm. and he experienced all the all the pain and confusion and frustration that that comes along with taking that worldview. And I think once he once he entered into the light, and the Lord spoke to him and led him into Led, led him into his kingdom, um, it was just like, you know, the scales fell off and he could see. And, um, and there was no going back. <laughs> that, yeah, it was just like it was a done deal for him, you know. So I think there's something special about someone who who turns to Jesus at, at a little bit later stage. And it was still relatively young that he made that transition, early adulthood. But um, to, to turn that corner um, gives you a take on things that, that not all of us can have. Oh, yeah. So, and we, we can benefit from it. Most definitely. So you've read a few passages that you've uh, liked that have w- worked with what you've been explaining. Is there a single, like a sentence or passage that just, like, if you think about the way to glory, this is what you think of and this is what you go back to? Yeah, the one that the one that stuck with me the most is one that, um, one in which he's talking about, so that there's, there's a flip side to glory. He, he kind of describes glory in terms of, as we said, uh, fame or approval or, or adoration. Um, but there's also a dark side to that as well. Um, and if you think that glory is, if glory is, is that, or another word he uses is, is luminosity or, or brightness, brilliance. Um, uh, obviously not in the sense of intellect, but just in the sense of, yeah. of noticeability and, and visibility. Um, then the flip side of glory, um, is darkness and, being forgotten and um, and sort of being cast out. And just as much as we get the passages in the Bible about the glorification of those who um, who receive Christ and, and enter into the kingdom, 
there are also some very frightening passages about what it is to be cast out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth mm-hmm. and, you know, the dreadful words, depart from me, I never knew you. And, 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 and we live this life, um, hopefully, with the realization that these two poles exist and that these are the two outcomes for all people, either to be welcomed into the kingdom and brought into fellowship with our creator and glorified by him in the sense of having his light upon us and that, that luminosity or being approved of by him or being disapproved of and, and cast out. And there are a few passages from Weight of Glory that are just such, use the word gut punch earlier, mm-hmm. they are gut punches, um, two in particular, but I'll just, I'll just read the one for now and I'll let you read it for yourself, um, for the others. But he says, in the end, that face, which is the delight or the terror of the entire universe must be turned upon each of us, either with one expression or with the other, either conferring glory inexpressible or inflicting shame that can never be cured or disguised. And, um, I, I don't know of any written sentence that better captures what it is to experience these two extremes, yeah. that we will all stand before our creator, that we will all sort of be brought before him and sort of inspected, um, and he will make a just determination uh, for us and for our future and our destiny based on, based on what we chose. And um, gosh, he just puts that so... So amazingly, and there, there are frankly, like not, not to um, put us on a down note, but there are a few <laughs> passages in there that are just, they really just illustrate the horror of hell. And, you know, when he talks about hell and separation from God, he doesn't really talk about, you know, he's not really focused on fire or, um, or pain and all these things necessarily, but his emphasis is on the sheer separation from the creator, that if ultimate glory, the ultimate expression of human joy is to be approved of by our creator, then the ultimate in glory, or or well, I don't know what the word would be, but the the ultimate um, suffering, the ultimate pain, yeah, 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 yeah. The, the antithesis of that glory and that joy of being loved by our Creator is the separation from Him, and you know we don't necessarily appreciate that because in our in our you know in our our reality, like when you think of the things in your life that have caused you the most pain, um, or if you imagine a person who's very far astray and, and, and denies God entirely and has no interest in following him and sort of just goes, goes their own way, they don't necessarily in the moment think of themselves as feeling pain because they're separated from their creator. They, they don't necessarily yeah. connect those two dots. But just as all the little things we go after in life are inklings of the, of the, the potential future joy, um, the pains we feel in life are inklings of the potential future suffering and separation from him. And um, yeah, there's some, there's some really bright, beautiful, amazing passages and also some, some dreadful, chilling passages as well. But they're, they're, they are what we need to yeah. understand. We need to understand these realities. It's um, important to hold both intention, right? right? So right. Jesus taught both of the these things. That's the weight of glory. That, <laughs> exactly. That is the weight to know that there is um, that there that the stakes are are not small, mm-hmm. and that God is sovereign and authoritative and just, and that we will stand before Him, and that we can bring Him either joy or sorrow. Um, as He said, that is a weight or burden of glory that um, 
that sort of boggles the mind. It's almost impossible to bear. Well, it's a good reminder to not rely on your own, um, on your own view of justice of saying like, well, well, God won't send anybody, you know, like it's, he's just, you know, and if he's just, then he'll do this. Yeah. And it's that reminder of, no, 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 (laughs) you are not God. So, and so your view of justice is paltry compared to what God's understanding and like his, his character of just is. And I think we've done a whole episode years ago together on God is just. Mm -hmm. Um, so maybe that's even worth putting in the show notes. <laughs> yeah, that would be good. It, it, yeah, you're exactly right. I mean, <clears throat> I don't know. Like, I'm only in my late. Uh, I guess I'm technically in my late thirties, or about to go into my late thirties, and so I, there's a long way for me to go yet on wisdom and perspective on the world and things like that. Um, but I also there are just some things that if if you if you have adopted a biblical understanding of the world, even even a rudimentary one, mm-hmm. it becomes really easy to look out across the world and see just how unbelievably warped yeah. um, the sense of justice in our world is. The things that we call good are not good, and the things that we call evil are not evil. And um, so, you know, it's like, it's not just that, it's not just that ultimately we will sort of be laid bare by God's, by sort of the 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 intensity of God's presence in his, his face, so to speak. Um, but also like he's expressed himself to us now and we can, we can discover these things and we can see what is right and what is wrong. Um, we will never have his justice. We will never have his wisdom, but you can be led by the spirit as you walk with him to understand things better and to gain more perspective. Um, but no, you're right. I mean, when I look across our world, I just go, wow. Um, we we're we're a mess. We're yeah. an abject <laughs> mess, and we need we need a savior. Yeah. Um. And those who don't believe they do, are are the ones who are are furthest astray. Sad to say. So we've made this book sound like a really great read for the summer. Um. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It 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 is. So okay. So Doug, end or um, send us out for this episode. Your best pitch. Why should listeners? Read this book. Well, this is on my list of books that every couple of years I, I, I reread this. So you asked me when the first time I read it. You yeah. asked me when the last time. But I've listened to it at least twice in the intervening years between mm-hmm. beginning and now. And um, it's, it's, it's one of those works that is just so rich and so beautiful, uh, even though maybe I haven't done that justice. Um, <clears throat> it's just so amazing that I, I need to listen to it every, every so often because these Mere Christianity is another one. Uh, Problem of Pain is another one. These are books that are so important to me and have been so important for my personal spiritual development that I know I need to revisit them often because they, they will fade from my memory. And I yeah. these are things that are so great that I know I need to keep them near the core of my understanding of what it is to follow Jesus. Um, obviously, <laughs> they are not scripture, of course. Um uh, are there some things in C.S. Lewis's work that I would say, well, I would come at that differently or I would make a different case about that? Of course. But the the opportunity to learn from an intellect like C.S. Lewis is, it, it would be an absolute shame for you to, to live out your entire life and never benefit from a mind like his. Mm. I mean, to read C.S. Lewis is to have your mind expanded because his intellect is... Uh, on another level that most of us <laughs> will never <laughs> access, 
But the fact that we can, that he has distilled so much of that really brilliant thought and made it um, something that we can, that we can take in for ourselves. Um, he will help you see things um, and open your mind in ways that you probably never would have reached on your own. Mm. Um, and I, and I think God has given, uh, obviously I, I'm the 301 pastor, so I care a lot about shape and each of us has a shape and each of us is made to make a, an impact on this world. Uh, part of C.S. Lewis's shape is, is his tremendous intellect. And that is part of what he brings to the table in terms of Christian thought. And so we all get to benefit from that. He sort of lifts all of us with that, with, with his intellect by explaining things that are probably so complex that we never would have got our <laughs> head around them all, all by ourselves. Um, but he, he sort of gives us a boost and lets us, lets us understand things that we otherwise wouldn't. So, I mean, you talk about Christian classics, um, weight of glory is absolutely on that list. It, for me, it's a must read for, for every believer. I, caveat though. Yeah. You know, like I'm not kidding. C.S. Lewis's work can be very <laughs> dense. And um, so just take your time if you get it and just know that um, if you're like, whoa, I don't think I even understood that sentence. I got to go back and read it again. I do that all the Embrace time. Embrace it. Go Embrace back and read it, it again. Read it again. Don't say, oh, I, this book's just not for me or uh, no, this is too, you know, you know, hi, like high sounding. No, I mean, you're, you're just reading from a guy who was an English lit uh, professor at, you know, <laughs> one of the most historic universities on the face of the earth so he has a he has a big vocabulary and um and even that will expand your mind because reading c.s lewis has sent me to my dictionary so many times and be like <laughs> uh siri what is <laughs> what does this word mean and please don't say anything siri don't interrupt this i was pop. gonna say okay, she didn't hear me <laughs> um you know e even that is mind expanding so just accept that there will it you'll feel almost like you're being like pulled forward and having to sort of like figure things out as you go. Um, but even that is a really sweet, uh, it, it'll be like a, it'll be like a seminary education, just reading these books by yourself. So if I boil down your pitch, it's, if you don't read this book, you are embracing stupidity. <laughs> yeah. You're, you're just, you're <laughs> accepting your lot in life and, and, and you're accepting dullness. I don't want that for you. I don't want that for anybody. Well, I feel like the room is telling us that it's about time to wrap this up because slowly over the last 10 minutes, it's been turning off different areas of lights. And uh, now even the outer room has turned off its lights on us. So Is that you, Satan? <laughs> nice try. As we talked about <laughs> luminosity, lights started turning off, <laughs> which, was, which was pretty funny. All right, friends, it's The Weight of Glory. We will put the link to it um, in the show notes so you can buy it for yourself or you can listen to it like Doug likes to do. Mm -hmm. um, so we, again, highly encourage you to check out The Weight of Glory. Doug, thank you so much for being back and for joining our summer book series. Thanks for having me. Al pleasure. Always a pleasure. We'll be back uh, with another book in our series next week. We love you, friends. Bye. If you enjoyed this episode, consider giving us a rating or a review on iTunes. If you do, you'll help other people find us in the future. You can also listen to these episodes on YouTube. Just subscribe to the Saddleback Church YouTube channel for these conversations, plus lots of other video content. And if you are already listening to us on YouTube, subscribe to the Doable Discipleship Podcast on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcasting app so you can listen in the car or wherever else you go. Don't forget to visit saddleback.com slash doable to check out all of our previous episodes and go to saddleback.com grow to find spiritual growth resources and view a calendar of upcoming events lastly you can always get in touch with us by emailing 
maturity at saddleback.com. Send us your thoughts, send us your questions, your Bible questions, your life questions, whatever. Who knows? Your question might just inspire an upcoming episode. Thanks again for tuning in to Doable Discipleship. I'm Jason Whelan, and I hope you'll join us again next week. Thank you.